Crypto Watch is presented by theconstantinvestor.com. I'm Alan Kohler, and every day my writing and podcasts put the financial world into context with a focus on the issues that matter. Join us today. It's only a dollar for the first month. And now it's time for this week's Crypto Watch. Alan Kohler here with this week's Crypto Watch interview for The Constant Investor. And this week, it's Rupert Colchester, Head of Blockchain and Practice Leader at IBM Australia and New Zealand. Now, mainly we're talking about the IBM Food Trust, which was launched just the other day globally. It's due to come to Australia in November, but they're signing up, busily signing up big retailers and food transporters and suppliers all around the world into a blockchain solution to track food through the supply chain. It's a fascinating solution and it kind of ends the idea that blockchain is a solution in search of a problem because it's actually coming up with a real solution for uh, a real issue. And so IBM's in the lead on that. It's very interesting to talk to Rupert Colchester, Head of Blockchain and Practice Leader at IBM Australia and New Zealand. Rupert, IBM has just announced the IBM Food Trust now going sort of open, now fully open to customers. Um, you've been testing for 18 months. Perhaps we'd better start with just what is it? Um, how, how does it work? So IBM Food Trust is a um, solution we built out in collaboration really with the industry um, to drive optimization, I guess, in the food supply chain um, across the globe. And that includes a number of things that will make a difference to the members of this solution ranging from um, ability to track freshness of produce, optimize shelf life and um, reduce waste, uh, drive efficiency in the supply chain across all of these different players, increase the amount of collaboration that's going on, and ultimately something which we all know is important today, which is increase the amount of transparency in the hands of the citizen that's buying food in the store. And it's a it's a network based solution, so you know it it will thrive based on the number of people that are participating in it, ranging from actual food growers to the logistics companies that transport that um, fresh fruit or meat around countries and across borders, all the way through to um, wholesalers, distributors, retailers, um, as well as other people that have a slightly different role in, in the ecosystem, including us as consumers, but also certification bodies and regulators. So I take it that it requires everyone in the supply chain, from grower to transporter to wholesaler to retailer, to enter into the system digitally. What's going on? Is that correct? Yeah, effectively, um, each each participant in that ecosystem or in the supply chain um, has a role to play in terms of data entry and recording the current state of state and position and location of a, a piece of produce, whatever form it may be in. So it will strengthen. The more people that are um, participating in it, the stronger it will become as a, in terms of a robust, complete solution. But of course, it has a role to play, albeit, um, albeit not necessarily the complete supply chain for a single piece of produce, um, as long as you really have a grower on or a major retailer. And, and so historically, what has happened is the early adopters have um, focused on specific product lines that they, they care about for one reason or another and started to onboard the um, number of participants and ecosystem members around that particular pro- produce. 
Right, so I presume, or, or does it apply to dried food groceries as well as fresh food or what? Everything? Yeah, it, abs- it absolutely can. I mean, at the heart of this is, is food supply, whatever that food may be. And, and the technology, what the technology does, uh, including the use of blockchain, really is create this immutable end-to-end picture of what's gone on in the life of a, of a piece of produce or food. So when when a customer is using it, what do they actually see and do? That they call up the they call up the website or the platform, enter into the the thing, the, some details, the 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 product, what it, whatever it is, might be what is it a case of apples perhaps, and then that becomes an immutable sort of record on the blockchain. Is that right? And then and then what when that gets transported, that case, does the transport company have to then update the record? Yeah, so there are there is a um, data entry process, which is of course crucial to this solution, as it is to any blockchain solution, whereby um, the quality of data entered, of course, um, helps drive efficiency in the system. So if high quality data is put in, i.e., yes, here's a set of um, product codes related to apples, oranges, bananas, whatever. It could even be a a packet of um, mixed vegetables, for example, all of which have come from different sources. These pieces of data are entered and you build up effectively a log, a database that's stored in a ledger on this solution of um, a producer's or a grower's um, set of products. And of course, at point of produce in a farm, they may be in one state and they will, the state of that piece of produce will evolve throughout its life, including being packaged and so on and so forth. That is one side of the coin. What actually then is... Um, I guess the the output once the solution's done its thing is that retailers in particular are able to um, log into the system and trace food products based again on that and um, unique product identifier where we've where we've tried to we've built the solution really around standards key standards such as GS1 and um, log in and see and see the history of a set of products and that may be based on a particular lot number. It may be um, it may be based on products that have come through a particular distributor or come from a particular farm, um, and really you can refine what you're searching for and what you're um, and how you actually cut up the data you're viewing based on what you're trying to do. So if, for example, um, there's an issue with freshness, or if you want to trigger a product recall, then the trace module, as, as it's actually called, is exactly where you'd go to do that. You'd enter. Um, a product number, and you'd be able to see where a set of products have come from. There will be other product. Um, there will be other modules within within the solution. There already is one around certifications, whereby, um, again, retailers and grocery companies are able to um, quickly and easily track and understand and see and troubleshoot issues with certifications of their own providers and suppliers. Um, and there will be additional modules which are already in plan and being built around freshness specifically and indeed a consumer-facing module, which will enable um, a couple of things to happen. On the on one hand, it will actually empower consumers themselves in store and be able to see the source of products and, and how long, you know, when they, for example, came out of um, came out of a farm, if it was something like strawberries and, and where it's been on its route. But also with it, it will enable the um, retailers and grocers to run analytics on, on data around uh, how would data and things like that. How would the consumer do that? Would a consumer be able to get access to it on their phone while they're standing in the store? Yeah. Yeah, that will be a, um, you know, a mobile-led solution, effectively, or interface. 
Um, and customers today are using um, a combination of interfaces, but effectively one can access IBM Food Trust um, from any web-enabled device. And what you're looking at is a t traditional user interface, which would look and feel much like a normal website. And of course, behind that sits this um, blockchain-based solution. I note on the pricing of it, you've got uh, small businesses, $136.50 Australian dollars per month. Medium business, one thousand three hundred and three hundred and sixty-five, uh, ten times, and then for enterprise solutions, thirteen thousand six hundred and fifty. So uh, another ten times, which is very, very interesting. And I note that Carrefour's has joined; uh, they're the first big. The French uh, supermarket has joined; they're being the first big one. So I presume they're paying the enterprise solution, but they wouldn't presumably pay just the once. Uh, one subscription of uh, 13000 a month, would they, or, or would they? So um, there, is a, um, there is a subscription to use the solution, which you're right, at the moment is positioned as small, medium, or large um, businesses based on their revenue. Um, that's actually, um, there are many um, commercial intricacy in the world of food, of course. For example, um, some really large food retailers, of course, own several different brands. Um, so we are building this model out um, kind of as we speak, and it's been evolving a lot. Carrefour, by no means the first major company to be using this. So, you know, a lot of the early stage work, really early stage back in um, early 2017, even late 2016, was done in collaboration with Walmart. We have um, the likes of Nestle using it and um, Golden State Foods. Um, there's a no, number of different companies, particularly in the States, that have been really building out some of this functionality based on their pain points and, and what they'd like to see in it with us. Um, and so, yes, each company will effectively pay a subscription fee to be a member of the platform. And and that and they will pick and choose. They won't necessarily want all modules. Um, you might want to use the trace module, which will come with a monthly fee, or you might want to use the certification module, or you might want to use all four of the modules, and there will be more that grow over time. The idea is that, um, you know, the network effect will um, will only strengthen over time. And, of course, you know, this is meant to be at a price point for customers that um, very much aligns with the value that they will get out of the solution. Well, when we're talking about customers, do the customers have to pay to use it as well? Or will that be part of their uh, store visit? Just clarify what you mean there. Well, you know, we, we talked about how a customer might use their phone to log in or use the, the platform to check the freshness of a product or something, would the customer have to pay to do that or would that be free as a part of their store, uh, as a part of their use of the store? Um, no, I don't, I don't think the customer will need, to be, will need to pay to do that. I don't, think, I don't think we've necessarily quite matured that side of things, but no, I don't think so. I don't think that's in current plan at the moment. No. But I was going to say that I note that you go on the website uh, and looking at the and it shows the pricing for each of the uh, levels of business, uh, and then it says buy now. Uh, so if I click on the buy now, it gives me a thing where I can then continue to check out. What happens if I continue to check out? You can actually you, you're onboarding uh, customers just online, are you? Yeah. So we, um, you know, one of the key things, and this is true of all blockchain solution, really, is that. Um, is uh, in the world of business is where the um, size and volume of the network is important. And of course, the adoption speed and the um, breadth of what whatever um, 
network participation that you want, it, it becomes very important. So certainly in something like this, where we want to cover as many members along a food supply chain as possible, such that we can really drive these benefits. And, and like I said, you know, it could be something, it could be something like the reduction of waste along the way, but equally it could simply be, um, you know, inventory optimization. For, so a, a small fruit producer knows when in a major supermarket, their fruit is running out. So a variety of things which will revolve around um, a strong network in place. And so actually, why do I say that? Because the onboarding exercises and the accessibility of the solution become very important. And like, and, and that is, you know, common across many blockchains. You know, how do you drive network adoption at speed um, in an efficient way, but whilst maintaining the strength of enterprise-ready um, platforms? and solutions so with food trust yes you know we're onboarding people right now and one can sign up through the website commence the data entry exercise um and onboarding which can be done you know through a variety of means you need to register some of your facilities some of the products map out a couple of processes and really ultimately once you've done that you're in the world of um finalizing the governance around it from your organization's perspective and start to put data onto the platform and as a result derive benefit from the data that you can see in it could you tell me how many you've onboarded in Australia? So the solution itself will be um, ready to land in Australia in, I think, uh, early November, early mid-November. So at the moment, it's been built out um, over in the US and now in Europe as well, and it will be imminently here in Australia. Right. So we have nobody yet, um, um, but starting in November next month. Correct. Yeah, starting next month. Yeah. It's interesting what you talked about the network effect because I can see that you know you, you, the more you've got on board the better it works. Is it actually something that works could work with competition? I mean I don't know whether there's anyone else doing it, but um, I haven't heard of any. Uh, but but what happens if um, you know Microsoft does it or Google or Amazon launches the same thing, and so that there's several uh, outfits offering the same kind of food trust blockchain solution or platform it kind of diminishes or mucks up the network effect doesn't it well so i so first of all um we are very much aware that there will probably be more than more than one food related solution um of this ilk globally so we're not necessarily expecting ibm food trust to, to be the one and only so as a result we've designed the solution very deliberately um, with standards in mind, and that's standards both from a business sense, so so things like GS1 and barcodes and common common uh, product terms and ter terminology, and also you know lists of product codes and stuff like that. And um, that's very important to to reduce the amount of um, change and integration requirements that's required for any one organisation. And secondly, from a technology perspective, which um, you know, any any practitioners out there will be will be curious about, but you know, this has been built on hyperledger technology, um, but built with standardisation in mind. So, why have we done all that? Well, for for one fundamental thing, which is to make interoperability with other platforms and connections to other platforms possible further down the line. But but effectively, I suppose at heart, it's got the other solutions would have to be a different blockchain, right? So the stuff the 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 objects, the um, the food products would have to be registered on another blo a different blockchain. It remains to be seen how that plays out. It's a, it's a perfectly fair um, point, and it may be that um, there is 
uh, convergence at different levels of this. But ultimately, if you're a, um, you know, let's say you're a, a fruit farmer, for example, um, you will have a list of products and you will probably decide um, whether it's going to live on one, two or three solutions. And, and you'll decide that based on who your major buyers are and where your value chain um, or how your value chain pans out. But you're quite right. You could, in theory, you could get to a world where the asset as such, you know, a packet of mangoes or whatever, is stored on, on multiple solutions. But of course, the world um, in, the, in the interests of efficiency here and what we're trying to achieve, the chances are what will happen around interoperability actually is an exchange of data at a slightly different level of it, whereby you can still get visibility of, of um, certain things you want without necessarily needing to store the sort of digital, you know, the digital token as effectively across a number of solutions. Yeah, but it'll be uh, it'll be messy if Coles and Woolworths went on different blockchains, wouldn't it? I mean, it'll be it'll be very good, best better for the suppliers if Coles and Woolies were on the same blockchain, wouldn't it? Yeah, it absolutely would. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's no doubt that commonality in things like this will will benefit industry and, and drive trust in, amongst consumers. And one interesting thing, just before we move away from the IBM Food Trust, it's interesting that you didn't tokenize it. Was that something that was considered? Not in the case of Food Trust, really. It's, um, you know, it's a, it's a solution really for business. Um, our philosophy here is one around open source, open standards and openly governed solutions. Um, we're trying to drive industry and business transformation through these um, solutions and where blockchain is the right technology. Um, we'll, we'll happily use it and look to use it and try and drive benefits that weren't possible five, six years ago. Um, but um, tokenization, whilst it you know features in the elements of our strategy around blockchain, it's not necessarily um, been you know, the way we've pursued lots of these initiatives in the early stages, and that may change in due course. But for now, no, this is this is a commercial um, business solution. Yeah, so uh, you're in charge of blockchain solutions for IBM in Australia and New Zealand, not just the Food Trust. What other things are, uh, does that involve? Um, so, you know, there is a tremendous amount of um, discussion and exploration around blockchain at the moment. So our team here in Australia, Australia and New Zealand um, are doing a number of things. Uh, on the one hand, we're helping customers understand the impact that blockchain can have to their business, and that involves, you know, understanding the ecosystems that they're in today and how they may transform in the coming years. Um, and that can be a short-term versus a long-term type transformation as well. There's a there's a huge variety of things there, and also. Um, as well as that kind of business focused, you know, where is the value I can get from blockchain discussion, we're doing um, a lot of technical implementations. So, um, you know, there was, an, there was an era where proofs of concept as such were plenty in the world of blockchain. We're, we're progressing. Um, there's a, certainly a higher level of maturity now here in, in, you know, Australia and New Zealand around how to progress these initiatives. So we do technical delivery for, for our um, customers and for consortiums as well, where they're building out solutions or platforms based on the technology. And um, and that includes things like our work around the Australian national blockchain. It includes work with um, the likes of, say, ANZ Bank in New Zealand, where um, they've done some work around intermediated insurance um, and, and a number of other initiatives. Very interesting. Good to talk to you, Rupert. Thank you. Thanks very much for your time. Cheers.
That was Rupert Colchester, the head of blockchain and practice leader at IBM Australia and New Zealand. And now it's time for this week's Crypto Watch Market Wrap with market commentator Saeed Sadawi. The biggest news this week includes the global credit card payment processor MasterCard has won a blockchain patent for a proposed system which would enable the integration of multiple currencies. Originally filed in 2016, MasterCard's hopes is that it will allow for different kinds of transaction information all within a single platform powered by the blockchain. The world's largest cryptocurrency exchange, Binance, this week announced it will disclose all cryptocurrency listing fees and donate 100% of these funds to charity. A move to enhance transparency, Binance has been plagued by a long history of backlash in the wake of rumoured outrageous listing fees. The recipient of these donations is said to be the recently launched blockchain charity foundation. In the wake of months of rumours and conspiracies as to solvency, this week the Hong Kong-based crypto exchange Bitfinex proved through its crypto wallets it's currently holding well in excess of US $1.5 billion. The company, which is no stranger to allegations, has hit back at rumours, disregarding them as targeted campaigns based on nothing but fiction. And finally, news out of Yale University this week, some of the biggest news to sweep the cryptosphere. Yale University has invested in the US $400 million paradigm crypto fund. The crypto fund is said to invest in early stage cryptocurrency, blockchain and exchange projects. The significance of Yale's contribution is said to be Yale's historical reputation for seeking out immensely profitable investments, with Yale's endowment generating yearly returns of around 12.6% since the mid-80s. And now onto the market wrap-up, a very stagnant two weeks in the world of crypto, arguably more bullish than bearish, with Bitcoin volatility consistently hovering around the uber-low 1%, hinting at sell pressure beginning to subside. Despite Bitcoin currently sitting comfortable in the mid-US 6500s, many alts have, had, have been running hard. A US $20 billion or 10% gain in overall market cap over the last two weeks has paved the way for many alts to benefit. And with Bitcoin dominance retracing also subtly from 52.7 to 52.3%, this again hints at a positive outlook for altcoins. With notable mentions going to the identity platform, The Key, up almost 40% this week, and the global crypto-backed loan service, Salt, up 30%, many other top 100 alts have seen very similar gains. With Bitcoin sitting at US 6650, many participants are arguing it's approaching decision time for Bitcoin. With sell pressure subsiding, Bitcoin is looking to make a decision either up or down with conviction, likely coming into the short term. And finally, the majors Ethereum, Ripple, Bitcoin Cash and Litecoin are down a relatively small 1.59%, largely thanks to Ripple's retracement of 10% over this week. And that's all for the weekly wrap-up. I'm Sayyid Zanawi and I'll see you next time. CryptoWatch is presented by TheConstantInvestor.com. Our theme music was written and recorded by Broke for free.